Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Yeah, 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 yeah. September 7th, the last day of hearings for the uh, potential, I say that with my fingers crossed, potential new Supreme Court Justice, Brett Kavanaugh, who, if you've been paying much attention, appears to be as awful as we fear. I don't really understand how a president who is essentially an unindicted co-conspirator in a felony who has been uh, said to be, by people working closely with him, unfit for the presidency, uh, how come this guy, when we all know all this, when there's talk about how to rid the country of him, impeachment, 25th Amendment, even Republicans acknowledge all this, but they want to get this Supreme Court seat. I, the lack of any moral center here, the lack of any concern for country, the lack for even fair play, given that this seat belonged to the last president and this same despicable group of Republicans refused to allow him his choice. And now the Democrats, by virtue of their minority status, are in no position to prevent what is essentially the thievery of a Supreme Court seat. I would ask all of you to today just take a few moments to contact supposedly the two Republican senators who may, I was going to say, find their you know, have some balls, and of course those would be the two female (laughs) Republican senators, Lisa Murkowski, and am I blanking on her name? She annoys me so much. Anyway, you know who I'm talking, Susan Collins. But I don't think they're going to budge. I think uh, the party, uh, their their loyalty, their fealty to uh, their party is greater than their fealty to their supposed belief in uh, women's rights to control their own body, but also greater than their fealty to country. I keep praying that somehow some miracle is going to (laughs) happen. 
because this is a disaster. And I'm even starting to wonder if, okay, if he gets seated and then Trump gets impeached or resigns or something and bodies start dropping and people are going to jail left and right if there can't be an effort, in fact, to impeach Kavanaugh and get him off the court that way. But that's pie in the sky. I watched him flat out lie yesterday uh, under questioning from uh, Senator Kamala Harris when she asked him a very simple question, have you ever talked to anybody at a specific law firm? Uh, is it Kasowitz or whatever it is? Anyway, the, the law firm in question is the law firm of the president's uh, attorney. And Kavanaugh actually asked like he'd never even heard of the, huh, who, Kavanaugh, you see him sort of muttering, buying time. Uh, the fact of the matter is it is well known that he has a very good friend who works there, <laughs> a good friend who works there. And to watch him feign ignorance, a little confusion, is to see a liar in action. He wouldn't even say that the president was wrong to belittle and or intimidate members of the judiciary, as you know he has done. He wouldn't even say that. Uh, I I find him loathsome. And once you're on that court, that's it, baby. It's very upsetting. It really is. Mark agrees with that. He says, the more I got to see of this guy, the less I like him. The customary response about a question being hypothetical. Oh, I'm sorry, Senator, that's a hypothetical question. I can't answer it. Hypothetical being, you know, okay, so this guy appointed you to the court. What if he ends up before the court because he's been found guilty of a crime or because of some impeachment situation? Do you recuse yourself? since the only reason you're on the court is because you're his guy. He wouldn't answer. Hypothetical. Not very. Nah, not. Wouldn't answer, can the president pardon himself? Hypothetical, he said. No, not. Can you subpoena a president? Hypothetical. I'm Incredible. So, I'm, uh, I'm really frightened. I happened to see some of MSNBC last night. What was I watching? What came on? I can't remember. But it was, um, oh, I know, it was uh, O'Donnell. And he had three guys on at the beginning, uh, one of whom, uh, again, I'm blanking, works for Mother Jones. 
um, who I follow on Twitter, and I can't think of his name. It's one of those mornings. And uh, he was like smiling throughout, smirking throughout. And he was smiling and smirking because they were talking about the fact that Trump is now surrounded by people who he knows now think he's an idiot. I mean, he's surrounded by people, any of whom could have written that op-ed. And he knows it. He's surrounded by people. Every single one of them who you could imagine having written it. So he knows, and he was paranoid to start with, he can't trust any of them, anybody. And they were taking such delight in that. And, you know, I'm sorry, I, I don't think that it's helpful to take delight in a situation like this. Uh, he's still the President of the United States. He still gets to decide who sits on the Supreme Court. He still has incredible powers, and there's nothing funny about it. This isn't a game we're all playing here. David Korn. And I guess he felt sort of, ah, we had a good day. It, it's not what's happening here. What's happening here is our nation is literally on a precipice. I remember being so frightened watching the Watergate hearings. I was in my mid-twenties, I guess. I was living on the pig farm in Maysomany, Wisconsin. I would sit watching it and fe feeling the terror of not knowing what was going to happen and knowing that the country was in a state of true flux and which way would it go? How does this end? I remember fearing that Nixon would maybe stage a coup d'etat of some sort. I remember really fearing. I don't have that same feeling now, but whatever it is I am feeling, it's much more intense and sober and it is dread because while David Korn and the others are having fun thinking of Trump's discomfort right now I am wondering how does this end? And what is left standing when it does?
it's of absolutely extraordinary time. You are living in the middle of history. And I don't like it. Because we don't know how the story ends. We don't know. I don't think it can have a happy ending, despite the smiles on some people's faces. Uh, getting Trump out does not make a happy ending. The amount of damage that we must attend to and whether or not there is a way to resurrect any sense of nationhood, of a common people subscribing to certain principles. Because I think we've seen that a whole bunch of Americans don't subscribe to those principles that we thought were foundational. So I find it a frightening time. A consequential time. A historic time. And not a time where any smiles. Make any sense at all. Not if you're serious. It's not a game. And you sure get that impression watching the cable guys. It's a game. A game of gotcha. We won that frame. We get that round. Chalk that one up to us. Much bigger. Much, 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 much bigger. And now our media go off chasing their tails, wondering who wrote it, who wrote it, who gives a goddamn. The fact of the matter is, is anyone in that White House could have written it. We have other reports from others. We know what it's like in that hellhole that used to be the White House. And my, you know, I don't even, Trump himself to me is almost, uh, I really don't think about him much anymore. It's hard to, it's always been hard to look at him, listen to him. But we know that he doesn't end well. I mean, we know this is not, we just wonder how much, he t how much of us and our country he takes down with him. The people I will never, and, and because I, he's a, it's the Republican Party. I will never, ever forgive. Every single one of them. There's not a Republican senator 
that I have any respect for. Any. I guess somebody could earn it by scuttling this stolen Supreme Court seat, but I doubt it. There are no heroes in that party. They buried their last one, and even that was a little over the top. It's really extraordinary. Tony wants to know, do I think if a Democrat had won the presidential election that Kennedy would have retired? Or would he have held on for another four years? No, I think he would have retired. I get the pres. I mean, I no, I think he would have retired. I don't... Kennedy's another one. I, I don't even comprehend how he would want Donald Trump to fill his seat. Unless I'm totally wrong about him. Jeez, I don't know. I don't know. You know, I spent some time yesterday reading uh, uh, a book written by Ruth Bader Ginsburg. It's just, it's writings of hers. From the time she was in in grade school, things she had written. And what a extraordinary woman this is. And that is the kind of person that deserves a seat on the Supreme Court. Hardworking, serious, measured, Thank you, Tony. He says, I wish you a happy New Year. Uh, the Jewish New Year starts Sunday night. I will not be in on Monday, uh, but we'll start up again on Tuesday. Thank you. May the New Year bring us some relief. God. Let me take uh, refuge, as I often do, in the obituary of the day. I bet you think it's going to be Burt Reynolds. It's not. I like telling you about people you maybe not quite know about, but Burt Reynolds we all know about, and I'll, I got a kick out of him, I guess, thought. But I want to talk about a more consequential human being, not as famous. You might when I tell you who he is, might know him. His name is Stan Brock. I think he was the same age as Reynolds. Was Reynolds 82? This guy's 82 as well. I think John McCain was 82. 82 seems to be a year when a lot of people check out. Uh, I'm looking at a picture of him. He looked familiar to me. Good-looking man and strong man, and he ain't young in the picture I'm looking at. Stan Brock. And the reason he looks familiar to me is because from, I don't know, what was it, 1960-something uh, to something, I, he whatever. He co-hosted, along with a guy named Marlon Perkins, that's the name I know, 
a television show called Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. Remember it? I can see Perkins. I can't, I guess, this. I forgot that after the show had run for a while, um, they brought this guy on. And he appeared on the program for more than a decade, Stan Brock, along with Marlon Perkins in Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. And it was one of those shows where for the first time you saw animals in the wild, you know, in ways you had never seen them before. But Stan Brock didn't get an obit in the New York Times today because he was on Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. As it turns out, it is after he gave up a television and film career and got on with what turned out to be his life's work. He, how do we describe this guy? It's fascinating life. He was born in England, grew up there, but as a teenager went to live with his father who had a job in the jungles of British Guyana. And there he, well, learned how to be a, a rugged character. He turned out to be a cowboy, essentially. And from, he was the manager from 1952 to 1968 of the largest cattle station in the world. 30,000 longhorn cattle and God knows how many thousands of horses. And that was a joy to him, living there. He was trying to explain once to somebody how he decided there were more important things to do. than wrestle wild animals, rustle wild animals, I guess. And it was something he thought of for some time, but then he decided, life is short, I better do it. And he told a story that as a teenager, living in what was then British Guiana, and he was living with the Wapishana Indians there. And they had given him this wild Spanish bronco as a, a gift. And <laughs> maybe they intended to kill him because the bronco had already killed a previous <laughs> owner uh, because the horse was just simply wild. And... This guy gets on it, Stan Brock gets on it, and starts galloping away on that horse. And he was doing pretty well. Hanging on as the Bronco bucked his way all across the, the savannah. But then the Bronco 
in his bucking collided with a barbed wire fence. And the Bronco went down. Stan Brock went down. The horse landed on top of him. He was telling this story to a man who had walked on the moon. Actually, the sixth man to, uh, to walk on the moon. And, damn it, why can't I find this guy's name? Oh, Edgar Mitchell, that's right. Edgar Mitchell. And he said to Edgar Mitchell, I was badly injured. But the only medical facility was a 26-day walk on these narrow trails through the forest and a horse couldn't make it way through those trails so it was a walk for 26 days to get to help and Edgar Mitchell who had walked on the moon said to him gosh when I was on the moon I I was really only three days from a doctor And Stan Brock thought, you know, there are so many places in the world where people do not have access to medical care. And so what he did when he decided to chuck it all, something that had been percolating in his head for a long, long time, was he decided he would fund and found a nonprofit and he would somehow bring health care to people who had no access to it. And he began this effort in British Guiana, rented a pickup truck, got a little bit of supplies. Little by little by little, he began going to populations that had no care. And he never felt more alive in his life. I mean, he'd done a hell of a lot of things. He was credited with discovering a rare species of bat. He was a pilot, which allowed him to reach, you know, remote areas. He was a black belt in Taekwondo. But his passion was providing medical care, vision care, and dental care to people who otherwise wouldn't get it. What is astonishing about his story is that while he began this, what turned out to be his life work, bringing this mobile medical operation to remote areas, 
he began it in the jungles, third world countries. But he ended it in the United States of America. And so, this guy and his operation are the people where thousands upon thousands of Americans for years have gotten medical care. People in Appalachia, people in New York City. He was in Puerto Rico in the aftermath of Hurricane Maria. Last year alone, he got well over a thousand healthcare professionals to volunteer their time and to treat thousands of people in the United States of America who otherwise had no access to health care. He lived a Spartan, ascetic existence in his offices in a small town in Tennessee. And that is where he has spent the last 20-some years of his life. People would camp out in parking lots for days to get in to see him. Odds are you have seen 60 Minutes did a story. Other people have written about it. Nicholas Kristof of the New York Times went to see him in operation and wrote this. The health fair reminded me of scenes I've witnessed in refugee camps in South Sudan. But this was America. His organization called RAM received no government funding supported only by contributions And that's what this guy, Stan Brock, did. And that's what he was doing when he died, August 29th, at Ram's offices in Rockford, Tennessee. You know... When I fear about fear for our country, I mean, my fear was already there before Donald Trump, because living in what we know to be the richest nation on earth in many ways, and yet so many of the people who live here, hardworking people, just not rich, hardworking people, have to rely on charity to get care that would be theirs in any other civilized 
nation. This is our country. I'd say taking a knee is the least we could do. There are a million reasons to do it. And you look at our joke of a Congress. You look at the absolute lack of any sense of responsibility for we, the people. The corruption of now all three branches of our government are corrupted with the seating of Brett Kavanaugh, it will be a trifecta. And anybody who laughs, smirks, because Donald Trump is having a bad day, is not thinking clearly. All right. Well, I just want to say that while I don't like laughing at other people's misfortunes, which I just made clear, I have to admit I did maybe smirk when I heard that a guy in Bartlesville, Oklahoma, attempting to burn his Nikes to protest the Colin Kaepernick ad ended up burning his house down. I know, it's not nice of me. But stupid is as stupid does. And I mean, this is so fitting. And what's funny is he got arrested. He got arrested for burning his own house down uh, because, um, I guess, because he created a, you know, a possible potential um, conflagration that could have spread to his neighbor's houses as well. He poured kerosene all over his shoes, lit them on fire, and the fire just went kaplooey, and that was it. I did enjoy that. Strange email from someone. About a week ago, James writes, Mark Levin, Levin, or whatever his name is, radio host, despicable human being, made the remark that Jews do not like President Trump. Well, they're hardly alone. James wants to know, do you think that this statement is generally true? And if it is, why? <laughs> uh, I would say most Jews probably don't like Donald Trump. Uh, but then that's because most Jews are Democrats. And I think that's well known. 
There are plenty of Jewish Republicans, always a stunner to me, and they have been in Trump's orbit, as you know. Um, it's just a silly statement for Levin to make. He's a Trump supporter. He's a Jew, <laughs> I hate to say. Uh, no, Jews tend to be Democrats. Democrats tend to not like Donald Trump. Okay, that's the reason. And nothing more. Here we go again. Amy and I were just talking the other day about, you know, these generations getting names. Everybody thinks a young person's a millennial. Millennials are now practically on Social Security, all right? I'm not sure exactly millennials, but millennials are... I think my kid's a millennial. Uh, but he's one of the last, I think. Um... There's a whole new generation, and it turns out it does have a name, because we were wondering, what do they call the young people now? And here it is. Th th these are people born roughly between 1997 and up until just a few years ago. That's the next delineated generation that they're going to write stupid things about. And I have in front of me the first stupid thing I've seen about this generation. And it's from the Wall Street Journal today. And the headline is, Get Ready for Gen Z Workers. That's their name, Gen Z. Now, if they're Gen Z, what the hell's the next one going to be? If we've already hit Z. I have to come up with something. These things are creations of media baby boomers, creation of media, uh, millennial, creation of media, Gen X, Gen Z, Gen Y, X, Y, Z. These are nothing but made-up labels to stick on a group of people born between this date and that date, having nothing else in common but that. And, and that people would then seriously go on to make broad statements about people born between 1997 and, let's say, 2016. As if, <laughs> as if you could make a specific statement about the quality of their minds, about their feelings, about their personalities. But this article does. So I'm going to introduce you perhaps for the first time uh, uh, how this poor group of people, because I feel sorry for all of us, no matter what group you're in, how you got characterized by people with uh, time on their hands and someone telling them to write a story. And that's what these are. These are stories. Okay. First of all, Gen Z can run circles around millennials when it comes to technology. Duh. Because Gen Z, obviously, grew up from day one with a smartphone in their hands. I, I mean, of course, right? 
I do like the idea that people in my son's generation will be shamed by people younger than them because God knows that's been uh, the case for any of us. But here's what they say, and I guess this makes some sense, but they, they say they're battle-scarred, they're sober, they're driven by money, and they're socially awkward. Now, do you see how silly that is? Do you see how just unbelievably stupid it is? They are more anxious and depressed than any other generation before them. Well, that shows at least they're paying attention. They were born, or came of age, when the 2008 recession hit. So this group grew up maybe watching their parents lose their house, watching their dad lose his job, watching their mother lose her job, don't be sexist, watching all of this stuff that happened, bad stuff, watching what almost turned into a depression. And so the media has now decided that this Gen Z are sort of like the generation that came in during the Great Depression. There's about 17 million of them. They are now adults. They're starting to enter the workforce. And it says right here that employers have not seen a generation like this since the Great Depression. I yes, these are kids who grew up during recessions, financial crises, war, terror, school shootings, under the constant glare of technology and social media, and the broad result is a scarred generation. They are cautious and hardened by economic and social turbulence. Yep, 67 million of them. It says here that it's not natural or comfortable for them to interact one-on-one. -on -one. <laughs> yeah, because they're heading closer to the cyborg stage. They already, you know, these are, in this I probably agree, they probably are less comfortable engaging in the kind of social intercourse that most of us uh, are able to do, kind of sometimes. These are the guys that didn't bother getting their driver's licenses. These are guys who are not prone to risk. They don't have premarital sex as much as any of the uh, generations before them. They don't, uh, they don't drink as much. They're very competitive. <laughs> and they're more racially diverse uh, than any other generation in American history. Well, anyway, that's that's what they are, and I just wanted you to tell you that. And um, I got to tell you, if you are one of them, that's who you are. In case you were wondering.
Why do we have, you know, it's laziness. It's, it's, it, it, it's cerebral laziness. It's bumper stickerness. It's like, could we take all these people and shrink them down into some kind of a cartoon? Could we please? Because I can't handle complexity. And, and the thing is, these things do end up having a life. Yeah. I mean, I, I have been, I have been criticized and almost, you know, looked at with curled lips for being a baby boomer. Okay, I understand, I guess. <laughs> like, I'm responsible for everything that happened, I don't know, between what year and what other year. I don't know. I'm responsible for everything from the hippies uh, to the greedy Wall Street crowd. I'm responsible. And, and now these poor souls, these young people, are being labeled as, yeah, depressed, anxious, out to get rich, uh, incapable of eye contact. <laughs> right. Oh, I can't. This is, this is why people have trouble, I guess, thinking critically, just being comfortable with their own observations, their own thoughts. Oh, I don't know about that, Ray. Is that true? It's not something, you know what Jews always ask themselves, is that good for the Jews? I would say that that is not. Ray has written, most Jews don't like Trump because the average Ashkenazi Jewish IQ is 15 points higher than the general population. See, that's, you know, if Jews, let me tell you, I know a ton. I know so many stupid Jews. You can't, um, I mean, come on. I got them in my family. I mean, duh, stupid Jews. It's like, you know, the thing that follows Asians now. Oh, you're Asians. You must be really good at math and you must be really smart. I mean, God! Jews, uh, by virtue of being a, a, a sort of uh, isolated um, and, uh, and marginalized, and I guess that's the same thing, and, uh, you know, they had their troubles. <laughs> and one of the ways that, first of all, the religion itself absolutely puts a high, high, high value on book, on the book. Now, the book could be the Torah, the Bible, but it branches out to being thinkers. Uh, to and, and then the sense was that if you wanted to get ahead because you had this handicap of being a Jew, that you had to work hard. He had to do well in school, and, you know, Jewish immigrant parents wanted so desperately for their kids to get... And that's, you saw the same thing with Asians coming over. There are certain cultures that do value, right, learning. Jews are one of those cultures. I think most Asian cultures are also. There are others that that's not the be-all and end-all. But when you come from one of those cultures... Uh, the odds are uh, a lot of you end up, you know, growing up with an expectation that you're going to be serious in school. <laughs> and that's the only reason that you see Jews disproportionately represented 
in in certain occupations because oh everything's so complicated but see Jews are now so incorporated into America that that striving thing that Jews had it's gone this is what happens the first generation of immigrants works their tail off the second generation works their tail off the third generation doesn't work as hard <laughs> and the fourth become slugs and the fifth it's what happens so right now you see the Asians they're doing it I got news for you a fifth generation Asian is going to be as stupid as a fifth generation Jew I'm, I'm just being silly kind of but oh, we have a caller hi Hi, Lynn. It's Roger. Hi, Roger. Hey, it's just uh, a, a, a me generation, selfish baby boomer here, I guess. Uh huh. Um, but um, I, I, I'm surrounded by Trump people, and we, and they're polite enough now not to even talk about things around me. Yeah. Um, every once in a while, I get into it with somebody, and it just blows my mind. Um, but. One thing, as if you're a Trump person, really in his court, and you're, and you know, and I know this is a real stretch, and they're very thoughtful people. If they were, wouldn't you just think the world's ending around you? I mean, just like everything that we've held dear in the United States is just crumbling because you can't believe science, you can't believe media. You can't believe the FBI. Yeah. You can't believe the Justice Department. I mean... You can't believe your own eyes. That's right. If you see it, it's not real. If that's my point of view, I think I slipped my wrist because everything's gone to hell then because the only people I can believe is Trump and Fox. <laughs> so I would be so just, just in despair if I were a real Trump person because you can't believe anything else. But they don't seem to be, and that and that's kind of uh, ironic, I guess. I, I'm not sure if that's the right word, but because I we feel terrible because the Republicans aren't just turning a blind eye and being quiet because they're getting what they want, and you know we're appalled at the president and we're appalled at Fox. So, but at least we think we we think we still have our institutions. And we have the media holding people accountable. But if we didn't have that, how awful would we feel? What if everything was like, Trump is great, everything is this and that, and meanwhile, you know, they're, they're, they're about to send Obama to prison? Well, what that... We feel like... Yeah. Well, I, you know, I... I flip I, things I, around. Yeah. We're living in a... a we're all, we almost have flipped everything around. I mean, the up is down and black is white and truth is lies and lies are truth. And yeah, uh, if somebody does not feel discombobulated in these times, then they might be brain dead. I don't know. I mean, I mean, my hope is, okay, yeah, he's got his crazy supporters and we're thinking hopefully it's only 35%, which is a huge amount, by the way. But... We're hoping that 
the wheels of justice and the things that our forefathers put in place and and the media is eventually going to set things sort of back on kilter but if we don't have that if that really is gone then we are done and and i think that we have the numbers we just don't have the money i mean big money is a real problem here as well but to, to be but if you put yourself in a trump point of view and think the way we think which obviously that's kind of weird too then in the world it has to be ending it has to be ending because everybody's against you everybody's against you well to have a paranoid and we know he is um and has reason to be now because he is surrounded by people who I don't know. We're we're in a very dangerous time to have a paranoid person as the president of the United States with the powers that he has. It could well be the end of the world, right? Uh yeah. So, as I said, there's no reason for laughter ever. And I don't know. Oh god, no. No, and I just hope. I'm not enjoying I'm not enjoying these things. Kind no, of, no. Uh, and I Yeah, and I feel for you that, you know, you have to work in an environment where so many of those people are. I can't imagine that. I don't have to and all suffer good, and that. And they're all good Christians, by the way. Oh, yes, of course they are. That we, that goes without saying. All right. Hey, Roger, I got another caller, so I'm going to let you go. Have a good weekend without your coworkers. Yes, I will. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye. Caller, go ahead. Hello? 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 Yeah, Hi. Roger was talking, you know, it made me think, you know, he's talking about Trump and Fox and how they believe only them. The first image that popped into my brain was that snake from Jungle Book. Trust in me, trust in me. You remember that? Yeah. Uh, the Jungle Book, the animated. Yeah. yeah the yeah. first thing that jumped into my brain. Yeah. Secondly, at the end of his conversation, he said they were all good Christians. Of course, that goes without saying. Christians have faith. Right. <laughs> right. That's it. Excuse me. Faith doesn't need proof. No. But the real reason why I called, (laughs) uh, you were talking about, you know, Asians. They're the new, in quotes, you know, this generation, you know. Right. The new strivers. The new, yeah. I'm like, okay, that's a good way to put it. I, uh, a couple of weeks ago, was doing caricatures for the CMU Robotics Department annual picnic in Shenley Park. Huh? Wow. I drew... 500,000 <laughs> Asians. <laughs> I drew Asians and Indians the whole time. <laughs> I was there for four hours. <laughs> I drew Asians and Indians of course. the whole time. Sure you did. What was really interesting is there were, uh, in quotes, white people there, but they weren't <laughs> Not nearly as many. Uh huh. Well, and, sure. Uh, right. Absolutely, it's true. Uh, yeah. 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 And one one of the professors, of course, was Jewish. Uh huh. I drew like <laughs> a professor. Right. And uh, yeah, yeah, and I'm not, I wasn't assuming he was Jewish. I asked him. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh huh. So, uh, so uh, yeah, we're talking, you know, all of Asia, Japan, Korea, right, China, um, but Asians, yeah, very Asians, tight. Asians. And, and, and Indians. That's right. Well, but one kid, he, he sits down, and I say, so where are you from? And he looks at me like with this curiosity, 
this look of curiosity. He went, India. I said, well, you can't assume that here, man, because they were mostly freshmen that I was drawing. He was like, I said, you can't assume that here, man. I said, because you could be from Chicago. <laughs> you know? And then the very next kid that sat down, I said, where are you from? He goes, San Francisco. He was another you know, Indian heritage. He goes, San Francisco. I said, see, told you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. But that, that when you when you started talking about that, I said, yes, that's Matter of fact, the day, the night before, two nights before, I think it was the night, the night before, I was at Pitt doing like caricatures at night, and you were talking about a diverse group of kids. Mm-hmm. And as you were talking about it, then uh, Trump came up in the, the previous caller, and I said that's like the biggest problem. That's why the cities are so that's right. you know, liberal, right? Because that that mix. That's right. You, know, you mix with other people, and you learn about other people, and you go, oh, just people. Yeah. Exactly. And so if you're in a rural area where everybody's white and Christian and you're in a small town America where everybody's white and Christian, yeah, you're scared. You don't even recognize these people you see on your television. Right. How analogous is that to Fox News? <laughs> That's who watches it. You know, they're, yeah. they're, they, they're a rural right. you know, news network. Right. You know, there's just not, you know, there's not that... Well, you know the white the white Christian power establishment, which has essentially owned this country, uh, is going is not letting go without a fight, and they might take the whole goddamn place down with them. Exactly, and uh, that's when the guy was talking. You know, like I said uh, the day before yesterday, I believe I took the Trump supporter out of the equation. What need you know? I think that what needs to be done, and we'll call it a Barack phenomena, is you remember how 2008, tons of people came out and voted for Barack Obama, you know, first black president, blah 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 blah. Right. And then in 2010, everybody stayed home. Right. <laughs> right. You know, so yeah, that kind of um, in this election, it, it, and all the Tea Party guys came out, mm-hmm. these, the, the guys that are in there now in there. Um, it needs to, that needs to be reversed. That needs to be flipped. <laughs> Keep those suckers home and have... Well, it, we sh- I think that's... I suspect that's what's going to happen. But what we've all got to learn is when our guy is... And when we feel we're on top, you can't let down. Exactly. You can't just be animated and, and get excited because you're against whoever is in the White House, and, and that seems to be what Americans do. And, and I always, I tell people, and I, you know, in person, on Facebook, whenever I can, I said, I, you know, I was registered to vote when I was 18, literally on the day I registered to vote that I turned 18. And, uh, you know, that's back when Reagan said, okay, you know, you have to register for the draft, you know, when you're 18. I did them both on the same day. I said, yeah, if I'm going to register for the draft, I'm going to register for the guy who's going to send me up to war. You know, I'm vote for, you know, I'm going to have a yeah. voice. And literally never, not a primary, you know, I don't care if only a dog catcher is there, I never did not vote. Right. Not once. Right. In all those years. Well, it's you and me. <laughs> it must be our generation or something. We must be of the uh, same generation. Okay, yeah. you. I got to run. Uh, no, baby boomer. Okay. Uh, okay. Right, bye. Uh, bye. Bye. Love you. Bye. Okay, I've got to start with some um, corrections here. Wow, we only got a minute. Henry, thank you. God, unbelievable. Henry writes, just wanted to let you know that the story about the guy in Oklahoma burning his house 
down when he was trying to Snopes.com is saying it is not true. Fake news. All right, well, yeah, there you go. <laughs> okay, disregard, I'm sorry. I, wow, jeez, I hate that. And then Lou writes, you remember yesterday talking about that white power sign supposedly that the woman behind Kavanaugh was doing and she writes um, she was a former clerk to him um, people were saying that just that wasn't really the case I did see another picture and Lou is saying it she did it again uh, was that yesterday or yeah I, I don't know I saw another picture of her quite clearly quite clearly doing this. I mean, she's just holding up her hand behind Kavanaugh. And um, Lou says, you know, there it was again. Washington, I don't know what that means, Washington confirmed, didn't want to believe it, but these people are worse than we can imagine. We are, this crowd is as corrupt as they appear. You know, yes, there is that picture where she's just flat out doing it. But as we just find out from Henry telling me the story I shared with you is absolutely untrue. Do we believe this? Maybe, maybe not. Here's what my guess is. She may have well done it again, and if she did, it's to essentially say this to you and me, okay? Hey, you guys want to talk about this a, lot, a little bit more? Well, okay, I'll give you this one. That in that regard, she's just trolling, maybe. I don't know, or else she's a friggin' white racist supremacist, and, you know, she's, uh, I, I, again, this absolutely underscores what we were saying. You don't know what to believe anymore. Oh, dear, dear, dear. Well, Milton, thank you. Lashana Tova, you say, and I don't think you're Jewish. That's very sweet. That's Happy New Year in Hebrew. And uh, thank you. God, dear God, please let the new year bring us some measure of, of relief. Please. That's all I'm asking. That's all I'm asking. And I'm an agnostic. So, But, you know, it never hurts to ask. Who knows? Could be. You guys have a great weekend. And... Uh, you know how all these presidents always, always end things with God bless America? <clears throat> I just want to say the thing, the phrase should be now, God help us. That's all. And that's all-inclusive and not nationalistic. God help us. Lynn Cullen Live. Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.